Well, uh, does anybody have any final thoughts they want to share? I would like to cast my vote for the rapture, like tomorrow. <laughs> everybody, welcome to another episode. I'm your host and moderator, Anthony Strain, and today I'm joined by Art Black. How's it going? Dylan Captavilla. Yo, what's up? Matteo Gaulle. Yo. And Nikki Adams. Hi there. And this is Crowdsource Politics. On today's episode, we will be going over the history and political ideology of William Barr, current Attorney General for the United States. Without further ado, let's start the show. So I think one of the things that we should just get start off with going headlong into this so we can cover as much as possible is to cover his time as when he was first attorney general under the Bush H administration. So uh, what what are some of the key highlights from his time as attorney general under Bush? Well, for one, he was uh, the advisor to Bush when he pardoned everyone involved with Iran-Contra. And that was that was huge. So so when he um, he advised the Bush administration to pardon everyone under like all the people that Bush pardoned during Iran Contra scandal, I guess we should probably talk about a little bit about what Iran Contra was and why that's such a pivotal moment for those that may not be aware of what Iran Contra was. It was uh, the long story short version of it was basically that the United States executive the executive branch of the United States government ran an arms smuggling operation in opposition of American law uh, to arm the to sell arms to the Iranians in order to get money for our kind of expansion expansionistic and anti-communist efforts within the within South America to go after the Contras which I believe was in I don't actually I don't remember the country uh Nicaragua but it was uh the Contras uh to go after the Sandinistas right okay so I I was that's yeah it was the Contras to go after the Sandinistas so pretty pretty big deal uh definitely an abuse of executive authority um at least in my opinion uh what 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 kind of what was the kind of fallout from that like there was all these people who were rolled up by uh by a special prosecutor um, charged with very various breaks of U.S. law, and comes in the Attorney General suggesting to Bush to pardon them. This happened during Reagan, um, the Reagan administration. Why? Why is this significant? What? Sorry, what was the question? Why was Barr's suggestion or advisement to pardon these officials such a pivotal moment in U.S. history? So do we do we know for certain that it was that Barr advised that, or was he an advisor when that happened? Uh, he advised him. Hold on, let me <laughs> see. Yeah, he was the article. I mean, if he didn't, it's not hard to see why it's easy to mistake him. Is no, he he was he was one of the primary advisors um, to to uh, to do the pardoning. Um, one of his, the reason yeah, he's assistant he's, attorney general, deputy attorney general. At, like he was way up there. Yeah, but I mean, we have to we have to be careful when we're saying he did something. No, he, versus... he did it <laughs> because one of his one of his uh, claims about about this was that he felt that the people involved were treated unfairly and were basically uh, thrown to the wolves and not given proper due process. Also, you know, he has different thoughts and opinions about what the executive branch can and can't do legally. Um, so if the president ordered something, then it would 
not necessarily be legal in his eyes. But we can get into that more down the line of this. But that was one of his primary reasons that he he advised uh, Bush to pardon him. Well, and unfortunately, we did lose a great patriot in uh, Mike Flynn, uh, who was uh, involved in the Iran-Contra. Oh, I'm sorry. I met Oliver North, uh, who wound up doing some time <laughs> unfairly. Uh, it was a great patriot who didn't roll over and squeal. And that's why President Trump, uh, I mean, uh, President Reagan uh, was so loyal to him and made sure that he was taken care of afterwards. And, you know, once he got out of prison and kind of had a bit of rehabilitation time on Fox News and then as president of the NRA, landed on his feet just fine. And uh, we can only hope that another fine patriot, Mike Flynn, um, you know, receives special treatment as well after he gets out of his legal trouble. Also, oddly enough, in involving uh, Attorney General Barr. So what... what um... I feel like we should go over more of this. Mateo, Iran-Contra is one of those things that you, you know, hold Reagan to account for a lot. Um, Bush Sr. Mo I feel like mostly Bush Sr. because Reagan was kind of, Reagan was a useful idiot for lack of a better term. Oh, during, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Reagan, Reagan was on board with that stuff too. It's not like you had to give him much convincing. Just tell him communists right. and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, but right, I mean, Bush was definitely, uh, I mean, he was, you know, just Where do you in think the these connections past, to the CIA came from? I mean, well, I was going to say, he was director of the CIA. He was uh, ambassador of China. He had all kinds of, uh, you know, experience within, you know, that uh, kind of international realm beforehand. But if you think about kind of the weird audacity of the that election of 1980, where they were taking the super hard line with Iran. Uh, as far as, you know, we're going to get our hostages back. You know, Jimmy Carter's weak. We're not going to give Iran an inch. You know, we're going to make, you know, Tehran glow in the dark. And, you know, meanwhile, you know, under the table, we're playing footsie with them, getting the missiles so that we can then get money to then fund these other things. And it's just very dark. I mean, it's just a very weird. And, and again, you know, you're exactly right. That wasn't within Reagan's wheelhouse. That was, you know, definitely more of the Bush side. Bush side, Rumsfeld. Etc. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean the 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 professional international power players at the time, you know, and the real anti-communist kind of uh, you know, uh, the big chess pieces on the board. And during this whole thing, they were uh, like the Bush administration or the Reagan Bush administration, whoever you want to, was uh, they were going around uh, telling all of our allies like the the moral dangers of selling weapons to Iran, and they better not do it. It's such a horrible thing if they do it. Mm -hmm. And then they're selling to Iran that whole time. Right. Yeah, and you have to remember that these are the I'm same people. Fund an illegal war. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Don. Yeah, same people who are in power for the next, you know, in, in uh, <laughs> had power in foreign policy for the next twenty years. So it's not like yeah. that. That was just that. It wasn't a one-time event. Oh no, but that was really. I mean, you know, talk about kicking it off right. I mean, like that whole election of like Jimmy Carter being weak and like we're going to, you know, show these guys what's up, and then immediately start selling them advanced weapons. There's even uh, some speculation. We're getting into conspiracy theory territory here, but um, I think they call it the October surprise or whatever. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, the Bush administration before they were elected was uh, alleged to have discussed uh, like the hostage situation with Iran. Supposedly, Iran was ready to give up the hostages, but the Bush administration or the Reagan administration uh, mm -hmm. asked them to hold off on it so that they could release it at their timing and it would look better. Also, if they were released during before the election, you know, Carter would have looked great and probably won the election. Yep. And the hostages themselves attribute their release to Carter. It's hard to know sure because they really know. <laughs> right. I mean, and this is one of those things where it could be conspiratorial. It also could be just how business was done back then. 
and we yeah. don't really have any way of knowing. It's not really in Iran's interest to disclose that yet. I mean, maybe if they have another revolution and some stuff gets declassified, we could learn a lot about that era. But at the moment, we just kind of know what we know. But what we certainly do know is that after the election, in which they talked a very good game of getting very tough on Iran, uh, the hostages were released and we sold the missiles like <laughs> almost immediately. And we were in playing right. uh, top of the line drug smugglers to do a lot oh, of yeah. work for the government. Oh, yeah. And, you know, would these people have a perfectly free like lane to fly back and forth from the country without mm-hmm. any type of authorities bothering them? What do you think these professional drug dealers are going to do? It's going to click in their mind that, to sell mm-hmm. drugs. Right. So this was like a huge reason why like we had such a huge crack epidemic in America because all this cocaine was coming in just by like the plane load. And it's all because these people turned a blind eye because it's fighting communism. Yep. Yeah. Good old days. Yeah. yeah God, days. Thank God for Reagan. <laughs> and so that that's Iran Contra long story short of it. Um, as far as like a legal analysis perspective, since we are talking about Bill Barr, um, why is this important? What kind of like, things it did to to set a precedent as far as the president's legal authority or set up might have been setting up for legal authority what kind of what kind of things does that reference he believes the executive office has absolute power so absolute that even people within its orbit shouldn't be uh touched well i mean sort of i mean the absolute power uh i wouldn't consider it a legal doctrine so much as it is a philosophical religious doctrine oh uh, fair point. I'm sure that we will get into that. Um, but the uh, the idea that the uh, of the unitary executive, where the president is vested within the is vested with all the power of the executive function as chief magistrate from Article Two of the Constitution, is very much kind of at the forefront of uh, the thinking that got, went into Iran Contra, and I'm sure that's going into some of the um, things being said uh now uh nikki you had a point you want to break in with go ahead please yes the 1992 pardons um i think it's interesting that one of the people involved said that the pardon of casper weinberger and other iran contra defendants undermines principle that no man is above the law it demonstrates that powerful people with powerful allies can commit serious crimes in high office deliberately abusing the public trust without consequence Weinberger, who faced four felony charges, deserved to be tried by a jury of citizens. It's another example of the fact that history may not repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. We're right back there again now. Weinberger was pardoned before he even went to trial. Exactly. A preemptive. That one was definitely Barr. Barr was like central for that one. Since we're we're touching on kind of the unitary executive function, uh, philosophical legal legal framework, I guess would be the proper proper way to go to say this. What are, what are our thoughts about this as a concept? I would obviously have to say against, uh, but it's it's not so clear cut and dry. I don't think it's a matter of is this always right or wrong. It's it's clearly a matter of what's the effect of in, in any given case, uh, and I think that's how Barr thinks as well. You know, it's. Uh, I don't think he necessarily believes uh, in absolute authority uh, for the executive branch until it's convenient for him um, and serving his what he believes to be higher goals, which is why I said it's more of a philosophical religious uh, doctrine as opposed to a legal one. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, yeah, that's that makes sense to me as well. I, I would say that the unitary executive itself as a concept um, isn't without merit entirely. 
Um, but I am very hesitant to say that it's something that should be followed uh, on a regular basis, if for no other reason that it messed way too much power within the executive. In the vein that some people like Barr seems to want, it would turn a president into a temporary king. But you know how temporary kings are. <laughs> they they only really get disposed of through revolution or death. So I don't necessarily want to see that to be a thing. All kings are temporary, Anthony. Well, and you know, like our old pal John Adams said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for to the government of any other. And ultimately, <laughs> it's it, it's not. It's not a government that's designed for people that are completely amoral. I mean, it's the kind of thing where if you don't respect any kind of boundaries or norms, and you are voted in by people who also don't respect that, it is it, it's not even designed to stop somebody who goes too far. It's supposed to give them flexibility within a certain context. And once you change the you know underlying foundation of that context, it, it's it's a flaw in the system, or it, it's an intentional maybe uh, flexibility in the system that can be exploited. It, it's funny you should mention that because Barr himself brings up that idea within one of his papers. Well, and the point of that is that pe people, uh, you know, and conservatives love that particular quote because they love the idea of a, a religious people. But it's entirely possible, if not predominant, for people to be religious but not moral. Mm-hmm. But the point is that oh, you need sure. to be moral, and they say, he says moral and religious, you know, not religious and moral. Okay, how are you defining moral there? Because religious people, I would definitely say, are moral, um, unless you're talking about a specific uh, set of, you know, ethical values that they aren't following, but they yeah, definitely I mean. have morals that they follow. Oh, well, if they, sure, started but... if, if they started following them, that's news to me. But uh, well, a lot of them will claim to, but they, that doesn't seem to really translate in real life. The morals they claim to follow doesn't necessarily mean they aren't following a set of morals, if that makes sense. They have their public morals and they have their private morals and they frequently disagree, but that doesn't mean they aren't still following a set of morals. And that doesn't also doesn't mean that the set of morals that they are following are really that good. So let's say they are following a set of morals, but talking out of the side of their mouth, it's kind of the same thing. Okay. So I'm going to use an example uh, that kind of explains how I view this subset of Christianity, like these uh, kind of dominionist people who will have a, let's say, a public set of morals and a private set of morals. Uh, within Sunni Islam, you have this subset called Salafism. And uh, one aspect of Salafists is that they can operate basically completely free of any of uh, God's teachings, basically, or his commands, so long as it's to further his interests. So you could have people who could commit any series of crimes, like for instance, the 9/11 uh, hijackers would go to strip clubs, they would drink, they would party, like they did that to fit in, and it was in their eyes completely permissible because it was in the interests of their religion to do whatever was necessary to achieve a certain end. So when you take religion to that extreme, uh, I mean, you basically are giving yourself uh, license to do anything, any crime anything at all, because it's moral. It's something that is in the long-term strategic interest to not follow any rules. And Barr is basically on that same kind of tip. When you get to that point where you're willing to do anything and bend any rule because you ultimately have this you know, higher objective that you're trying to get to, I mean, in one sense, it's a very advanced type of morality, but in the other, it's the purest kind of immorality. So that's a, a philosophical nut that's a little bit, you know, beyond most people's ability to crack. 
but I think that's kind of where the division lies, is that they see themselves as these executors of this higher principle that basically enables them to do anything in the name of their cause. So in, in reference to that, I kind of want to read out a in Barr's own words. This was written by Attorney, Attorney General Barr um, for the Catholic lawyer in 1995. And he states, just let me scroll down a little bit. Traditional Judo-Christian doctrine maintains that there is a transcendent moral order with objective standards of right and wrong that exist independent of man's will. The transcendent order flows from God's internal law, the divine will by which the whole of creation is ordered. This eternal order is impressed upon and reflected in nature and all created things. This is the, the natural law. Man can know God's law not only through revelation, but also through the natural law, which he can discern by reason and experience. He further goes on to state that... Thus, the founders believed the choice was clear. We could govern ourselves guided by religion and morality, or we could lose our liberty altogether. In the words of John Adams, as Art noted earlier, we have no government armed with power which is capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate for governments of any other. Later on in the same article, he states, The breakdown of the family is particularly distressing because the family is the principal institution by which we conduct moral education and transmit values from one generation to the next. As the family is weakened, so is our ability to transmit those values. We are sitting right now on top of a time bomb, a whole generation of disturbed and dispirited children. I can discuss at length the fruits of the new secular age, but the point is clear. The thrashing that traditional morality has taken over the past 25 years, granted this was 1995, has brought immense suffering, wreck, and human misery. So uh, take that article, take those opinions, and now age them over the last 20 years. Where do you think he is? I would say that he is going to believe that he was 100% correct, because now we have he mentions in here that uh, from where, uh, when things are considered legal, then they're considered morally justified. Uh, he brought up the fact that abortion was considered immoral in the 50s, and after, by 1995, people found it to be morally permissible. Same thing with uh, other things, other degeneracy, or at least that's what he would call it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think he's probably seen 20 years of what he feels to be uh, a losing war, and uh, I know we talked about this yesterday, um, but I'm bringing it back. Yeah, what he feels to be a losing a losing culture war, um, and ultimately it's going to you know end in the damnation of mankind. And what do you think he you know what what are the kinds of things that he would be willing to do in order to to prevent that? You know, and that, my friends, is the ultimate question that is Attorney General Barr. Okay, all right, go ahead, Dylan. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of think of the popular opinion of Barr right now is really our understanding of Barr over the last uh, two years, right? We understand him as Trump's lapdog. We don't understand Barr as uh, a person with his own agency, with his own motivations. And that's how we really should be thinking of him uh, when we're examining uh, the events that are happening right now. I think, I think that's fair. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, had no idea that these, when he was up for nomination, uh, had no idea that he had believed these things. And it didn't come up, I don't think, like at all. There might have been a couple of, of things of like, you know, questioning his 
his commitment to to protecting you know the rights of abortion and, and things like that uh, in in federal court. But there, uh, this letter here was never mentioned, as far as I know, during the congressional hearings. Uh, his nomination um, it was published, uh, republished at the time when he was under consideration, but I don't think it was ever mentioned by congressional members themselves. And have you heard it mentioned that often, you know, even, uh, you know, even among liberal news sources who criticize him all the time, have you really heard these kinds of criticisms other than, you know, the kind of short-sighted stuff? Not really. And I, I don't know why that's the case. I can speculate that it could be that there's this fear that if you start ta- uh, attacking someone's deeply held moral uh, religious moral beliefs that it'll become come off as being anti-religious in general and i think the media has concerns that that's the way they'll come across so they might not question it so much but it could be just like another thing of like it's religion it's not important let's ignore what these people like let's ignore it because it doesn't really affect anything thing. so so i think you you touched on something pretty important there which is uh you know when a when a leftist criticizes someone like Barr, do they how often do they actually stop to think, man, will criticizing him about this make me look bad? Oh, not very not. often. <laughs> yeah, no, not very often. Um, he's right, very so, safe to go after for yeah. those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so why aren't why are we not hearing these things from from you know more mainstream news sources? You know, who are looking for literally anything that they can criticize people for. Well, uh, mainstream news source is going to be sensitive to that. Now, a leftist source, yeah. like you're talking right. like like well, Jacob, okay. in a, you know, you are going to hear some people say that, but in the context of like a like a CNN or somebody, they're not going to bring up that. I mean, it's you know, it's going to hurt their you know their idea of neutrality. When I say mainstream, I mean mainstream leftist, right? So just not the really obscure like local newspaper in in leftist newspaper in Spokane. I mean, I mean, any big source, right? Uh, Jacobin, for example, you know, which yeah. should be all over yeah. this. And gotcha. I haven't seen anything. I, it's, it's not that I don't know if they do have or haven't, but I, I haven't seen it personally. Yeah, I don't see it shared as much, uh, shared widely as much. And I think it might be some of the, the case might be one of those things where it, the other things that he is doing is taking up so much oxygen that it doesn't leave enough breathing room for these more in-depth philosophical analysis of the individual themselves. So for instance, are are you familiar with the uh, concept of stray voltage? I'm not, no. Okay, so um, Hannity used to accuse Obama of this. I mean, Trump actually does it as a daily tactic. But the idea is that if there is something in the news that you want to get rid of, or there's a bit of a lull, and you want to kind of take over the news cycle, you can introduce some kind of, you know, some kind of divisive topic or statement that will derail the news. Trump does this daily, like just randomly. Today, he did it three or four times on different, like wildly different topics, like stuff that just it blows out anyone's ability to focus on anything because there's so much constant, like energy in the news cycle that nothing ever settles down to the point where you can actually relax and have like a nice, orderly, you know, kind of a, a calm just review of where you're at because you're constantly being poked into this state of frenzy and you're like being shocked and shocked and shocked. And it keeps you in this state where you're just constantly responding to these little shocks. And I think that with something like bar or with like even the day that Trump had today, 
in a normal administration, that's like six months worth of scandal all in one day. Like we'd be talking about that shit for weeks for any given thing. Like even the hydroxychloroquine thing alone, that'd be like a month of coverage, just nonstop. If somebody, anybody else, I mean, even if George Bush had done something like that, like everyone would be like, what? What in the world? Like it, it's just, it's such a different approach to media that even stuff like this with Barr, yeah, it's a good point. Like the guy's kind of, you know, obviously uh, some kind of strategic religious wacko and that's probably not a great thing and as time has gone on we're probably more able to observe that but man like there's just so much going on it's hard to devote any energy and time to it and how you know it it really kind of boggles my mind why you know why me the media hasn't caught on i mean they may have caught on to this but they haven't found a good way to respond to it they're just kind of they're still getting their ass kicked by it absolutely oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those situations where the media needs it in order to fuel their own ratings and to pontificate on it and things like that so they can keep getting Hard viewers and advertise their dollars. Um, and another another thing of it is that old media just can't keep up. It's too, for lack of a ter better term, bureaucratic in nature. It's got too much of a hierarchy where you have to go through an editor. Uh, you have to go through a revisioning process, even when you have people on, on TV doing this stuff. Um, whereas new media, people like us, we're considered new media. Um, people like uh, Say it. maybe maybe the Young Turks or... You're getting closer. <laughs> I mean, the, what are we doing? Breitbart? Like... <laughs> no, she, she's in office. Oh, AOC. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or people like AOC are able to uh, kind of just like hijack the the process by going directly to their hundreds of thousands of followers and and making them making it their own media storm just from their. Existence. I mean, the media, the big media are dinosaurs, and you have these new furry little mammals that are agile and fast, and they're able to survive and adapt, and they are going to be the ones that go on to the next phase. And this is just like the end state of having to deal with like NBC and CNN yeah. and all that. Okay, yeah, but those, those those furry little animals, they take small bites, right? And this is, you know, they don't get to really their correct response to something like this, to to stray voltage, as you called it, would be to uh, filter out a lot of the noise. And they can't do that because their red meat is little shit. And every, you know, snarky thing that they have to post on social media in order to maintain those followers. If you get rid of that, they're not going to be as entertaining. You know, they're going to sound more like me <laughs> and and no one's really going to care or listen to me. uh we're, we're not giving ourselves enough credit here now but uh no i get your point <laughs> but yeah the, i mean the we're counterpoint shitty damn it right because <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's where you, that's where the line between you know social media is where the line between journalism and entertainment really starts to blur uh and for most people who follow her it's entertainment, and if you if you lose that factor, it's it it's taking away the the journalistic value of it as well. So it's it's a catch twenty two. No, I can, well, I can it, see that. it's a catch twenty two. Yes, um, in that we're trying to keep this thing called journalism alive when it's probably not going to survive in the in the form that we knew it growing up. Like what it's going to be in twenty years is going to look not at all like it looked twenty years in the past, right? I mean, we, there's still, there's still a net, there's, we still, and this is way off topic, but we're going to keep it in there. I don't care. Um, but, uh, we still need, you know, the, the gumshoe reporting of diving deep into a particular investigation in order to get the, the truth and evidence out there from like these, 
these things like we're talking about today uh, with, you know, bars, personal religious uh, leanings. And I, I see that medium not on us. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this is what the future. Yeah. No, I, I'm disagreeing with you. This is what the future is going to be, is that you're not going to have like this, you know, command structure of like, you know, it's kind of like comparing like an old military division where you've got like, you know, the commanding general and then you've got like, you know, brigade, 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 battalion, battalion, battalion. Or like with newsrooms, you have like these editors and these field reporters mm -hmm. and these sources and like it's very structured. It's, I think know. we're going to see kind of like a convergence of the two because naturally, right. oh, for sure, you're going to pro publica. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, standards are going to be put upon you to have a, a logical method of finding truth. And that usually leads you to where the big news uh, media companies are now. Uh, whether or not they'll go to that extent, probably not, because, you know, just new technology, new everything else. But at the same time, I think as small news organizations get bigger, they're just going to look a lot like the big ones. Uh, Nikki, you had a point you wanted to break in with. Can you please go ahead? Um, I wonder, does anybody think that will there ever be a time that we'll be able to go back to a place that ratings matter less than the news? I mean, I know I'm older than you guys, but I remember a time when the, the ratings didn't matter. What mattered was the information and having it presented in a balanced way. Will cable news completely fuck that? Um, so I I think that in a way we will sort of kind of get around back to that at some point. Um, I think decentralization of journalism is actually going to help that. Um, but we need to find a way to decentralize funding in a sustainable way to match that. That's all I was going to say is it, it just depends on which billionaire buys what magazine. That's what I was just about to say the same thing. Bezos buying Washington Post and just yeah. using it as kind of Carlos like, Slim with the New York away. Times. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really just going to get down to certain, you know, wealthy interests. I, I think in like the again in the near term, that's probably where things are going to trend because these big organizations that rely off of advertising dollars, you know, back in 1970, where else are they going to advertise? Whereas now, you know, people can advertise anywhere. So you, these big organizations that used to be able to afford to be neutral, let's say, because it was a good business model, you know, that doesn't work for them anymore. Rosebud. Anyways, <laughs> put the Citizen King reference in. Uh, so we, we've kind of gotten a little off track, but I think it was very important to talk about. Um, I think since we've uh, hit on a couple of the major, major points here, I think we need to talk a little bit more about dominionism itself. And we can do an entire episode on dominionism, but I think we should mention it in this episode in order to get people a little more familiar with it, um, just so that there's not this giant gap for people that might be hearing about these kind of things for the first time. Go ahead, Art. Just real quick, just to throw this out here. So I made an earlier point about how you have a strand of Sunni Islam called a Salafism, where you have basically this very open doctrine where you can kind of get mm -hmm. away with anything to you know, advance the cause. This is similar. And it, one of the reasons that you saw this rise of Sunni extremism was a cultural collapse in the Middle East. So a lot of what we consider terrorism is really just a pushback against the advance of modernity on the Islamic world. They feel that the world is changing and the way that they used to, you know, operate in it is dissolving. So you have these extremist elements that are trying to shore it up. That's all that these guys are just on the Christian side is you have guys like Barr um, and, you know, the rest of the kind of dominion sphere that realize that they have lost the culture war. I mean, at this point, they're being routed, they're being pushed back. Uh, you know, they lost so hard on gay marriage, we pushed right into like trans normalization and rights 
these guys are just like feeling the world slip through their fingertips. So what we have ramping up now when they're trying to push in all these uh, conservative judges and uh, you know basically let Trump get away with anything is they are desperate to push back against this loss that is just year after year undermining their power. And once it completely sweeps away, they're not going to get it back and they know it. So their desperation is going to ramp up because of the stakes getting higher and higher and they can feel the kind of impending cultural doom getting closer and closer. So that's where we're getting these guys who are going to get a little bit more out of the woodwork and a little bit more brazen is they, they can tell that the end is coming. Yeah. Dylan, go ahead. Yeah. If I could add on to that, like uh, dominionism, you know, for people who haven't heard that word before, it's not a, it's not a cult, right? It's, it's, it's not a specific subset of, of religion. It's uh, you know, a philosophical ideal on top of, uh, even it could even be you know just mainstream Christianity, uh, and sure. there uh, you know a lot of people who hold dominionist beliefs aren't wouldn't self-identify as dominionist. Um, it's right. more of a uh, a cultural movement um, that's kind of been it's part of the the Christian right. Um, this is just giving a word to it. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of the idea that uh, it's kind of taking the whole idea of God's chosen people and applying it to Christians. Essentially, um, it's this idea that uh, we have been given dominion over everything and all power comes from God. Um, therefore, if a per it's like it's a combination of things. So it's the idea that you know we're getting give, given dominion over all of the earth, so that therefore we lead. Is the idea that uh, power is derived from God, and anybody that is anybody that is in power is in power because of God. Ergo, their power should be respected. And it's the idea that only Christians are right in a lot of things, um, and so that they should have the the levers of power. And right, well, if you if you are a Christian, then you believe Christianity is right, which is why it's not uh, yeah not a minor uh, portion of people for sure. An interesting thing about Christianity is that it started off as a very subversive religion. And if you look at its movement through like the uh, Roman Empire and eventually uh, as it expanded, a very it, it was weird for it to come into a position of power because it wasn't really designed for power. Like it, it almost does better when it's persecuted. So they do naturally fall upon this kind of, you know, persecution uh, narrative that you know, the world is out to get us and we have to do what needs to be done to you know, keep ourselves on top. So it's interesting because you have these people who are both in power, but also convinced that they're persecuted, which is just, you know, it's uh, you know doctrinal that Christianity yeah. is persecuted. Yeah, um, it's been doctrine for, I mean, 2000 years, but, it's, but yeah. it's been, you know, it's been a the world's dominant, one of the world's dominant religions, uh, the dominant religion in the West since Constantine, which was sure, yeah. 300 AD. <laughs> so. right. it's, yeah. a, it's, it's, it's an interesting paradox, but you know, for people who have a hard time understanding, well, Christians are everywhere. Like, why would they feel persecuted? It's just an interesting aspect of the religion that the entire teaching of it is Jesus was persecuted later on, you know, Paul, everyone, you know, just from there on out, you know, just a history of persecution. Yeah, that's very much true. And it's, and it's, important that we kind of we kind of bring that home to to the listeners because it seems that maybe liberals feel like they don't have economic power or or liberals and leftists will say don't have necessarily economic power or maybe state power and that's their primary focus it seems that more conservative christians 
are very hyper focused on the fact that you don't have much cultural power the ability to influence and and direct morality from you know hollywood or the media and these sort of things and they feel that's where their primary focus seems to be um and they're trying uh, with you know dominionism and, and, and things like that seems to be trying to take the political power that they have and tra- translate it into cultural power which it's just an interesting reversal because the strength of christianity you know, like St. Uh, Andrew Breitbart used to say, politics mm-hmm. is downstream of culture. So Christianity would dominate politics because it would come in and take over culturally. So once you have a, uh, like a base of people that believe a certain thing, at some point, politics will eventually evolve to reflect that. Right. That's always been their natural progression over the last 2000 years. So we're now at this place where Christianity has lost the ability to be further upstream. Like you have these other beliefs, these other uh, values that are supplanting it, but they still have that legacy power because they used to be the dominant cultural force. So people like Barr realize that they're losing that cultural dominance and they don't really have a way to get it back. But absent that, they do still have political power because they are still majority and there's still a lot of tradition and kind of levers that they can manipulate to squeeze a lot of juice out of the system. So that's kind of where Mm -hmm. they're at now is you have people who are just well-placed and realizing that they're gradually becoming, you know, less relevant, uh, less relevant. I, I, I wanted to work a, you know, Jews will not replace us, uh, <laughs> an, an argument in there because that's an aspect, you know, and just to throw it out there, you know, he, Americans are most segregated on Sunday. You know, even though we say Christian, yeah. we're really talking about white Christians. Like when yep. this particular subset of people who are afraid that we're bringing in, you know, the Jews are bringing in these brown folk from the South. They're going to replace us and start voting and take all of our welfare and whatever. Like this is all deeply tied into that sense that white Christianity is supposed to be on top. And again, Mm -hmm. when we talk about Christianity, we're not really talking about like the Jesus. We're talking more about spirituality, right? Like spiritual, but not religious, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Right. But also we're talking about like, white white people you know we're talking yeah. about right yeah well we're yeah western white western, people sure yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, we're no uh, longer wasps we're all wasps now actually that's what it yeah is. i mean, uh, I mean it's, it's very you're right it, it's very mm-hmm. it's murky but that's broadly speaking the, where they see the world correctly oriented and they don't want right. that to go away dylan please go ahead uh yeah i mean uh, You really threw me off there uh, by bringing race into it because my mind just went poof off in that direction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, uh, Although I wanted to say something important and I totally forgot. Keep going. When you go back to the the concept that people are, they are, they on that religious side of it are trying so hard to hang on to their culture that they've dug into this incredibly extreme place where, let's talk about Jews will not replace us, gay people will not replace us, trans people will not replace us. I mean, it's become, they're they're dug Mm. in so hard that there's no room for anything else anymore and that's not been my experience over the course of my life from from a religious standpoint or perspective Mm -hmm. so uh question is it hypocritical to say or is it uh 
Is it an oxymoron to say that dominionists are not being persecuted, but are also truly, they are uh, fighting for survival? Yes. When you used to be the, the dominant culture and you're seeing all that ripped away and then not only no longer the dominant culture, but looked at as in with disdain and, sh and you're supposed to feel shame for how you be. Yeah, it's going to cause a little bit of people to try to fight back, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that is true. That is a, a <laughs> the primary social tactic, right? Uh, that's how most people debate on uh, or, you know, at least online. Air, air quotes debate. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, online. Right. It's is mockery is trying to make them feel shame. Right. And we don't view that as persecution because we think of persecution as, you know, legal persecution or physical, you know, beating them. But shame does matter. And that's that's it. I, I would in a way, you know, I would consider that persecution. I mean, we definitely have to distinguish between that and, you know, uh, we do have to put it in context. But linguistically, I would consider that persecution. Yeah, there's room for it to be one or the other. I mean, it depends who you're talking to. If someone uses persecution one way and then all of a sudden switches it up, I'm going to side eye them a little bit. But <laughs> if they course. have a consistent use of the word, I'll, you know, I'll work with them. Loss of privilege can feel like abuse. So that's one thing. Yeah. But also you have this uh, kind of a split between at some point when they're not dominant, that doesn't mean that they're going to be literally rounded up and jailed. They're just going to be asked, hey, if you want to be Christian, we don't care what you do in your house. Just, you know, keep it in the bedroom sort of a thing. And, you know, just don't be, don't flaunt it. Don't be weird with your neighbors. Don't go marching in parades. And, uh, you know, just don't, don't, don't bother the kids with it sort of a thing. But they don't want that. Like they, they no. want to be that dominant force where people not only don't bother them, but they want to be able to bother other people. Like they don't actually want people to just do whatever. They want people to be Christian or at least give lip service to Christianity or operate the country in a manner that they feel is compatible with their beliefs. And they don't want to kind of live and let live. So when yeah. you ask them, hey, let's just all get along, that they don't actually really want to do that. They they do kind of want to get their way. So Coexist people like William Barr, them. they don't, yeah, don't really, you know, I mean, they'll put, they'll put up with it. They have a choice, but so you know, that's not the, what they want. I mean, this ties, I think this ties back to Barr, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. What were we talking about again? Um, which is, I mean, we were talking about, you know, his, his religious beliefs kind of taking precedence over his, any legal beliefs, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, culturally, that applies to evangelism as well, right? Um, yeah. to, to someone who is Christian, it is the right thing to do to evangelize because in their mind, you know, they are trying to protect people from burning in hell for eternity. Like what more, you know, what can be more noble than that? Um, and so it's, it's weird from their perspective, it would be weird to be told by society that you can't do that. Um, that that's wrong and what kind of society would would want you to stop, you know, trying to save people. I was going to say, like, uh, Osama bin Laden would tell you the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Very true. I'm yeah, just saying, like, you're, you're exactly right. That's something that we that people, at least on the left, should should consider more. There's nothing wrong with talking to people about religion, in my view. You don't you shouldn't harass people uh, about it. You know, if somebody tells you to like, hey, you know, uh, Sorry, not not really my thing. You should back off. But yeah, well, uh, you know, it's kind of the uh, the the basic liberal bitch. Um, 
uh, way of they they empathize and they value empathy, but only for the people they agree with. That's something that's an actual very true thing. You see it a lot. Um, or their favorite token. Yeah. Well, and one day we'll have like the token Christian we'll have on TV and you know. <laughs> God. <laughs> no, it's, uh... no but, but seriously, I don't think anybody here on this panel actually, or, or in this cast actually like wants to, to see them be, oh, well, what? <laughs> Maybe I might be in that camp. I was going to say, we're just, we're just waiting till we get the upper hand. So we'll be cool for now. That's yes, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, we go back to a place where when and again, social media, because it's because of the very nature of it makes it more difficult to have any real rational discussions. But I also think, as it is with many Trump publicans, because I don't call them Republicans, they're Trump publicans. Mm -hmm. There's a certain kind of evangelical now where it's like, oh, well, you don't think all gays are going to burn in hell? Well, then you're not worth my time. I'm not going to talk to you. In fact, I think you're, you know, I think you're a disgusting human being and you need to go away. And that's what I see. Well, there's certainly like an enabling of people who are feeling uh, the time to fight is getting near and they're a little bit more willing to kind of, uh, I don't know, drop the pretense of getting along and they're more, more willing to, to fight and get vocal about it. For sure. To, to kind of bring this all home, um, it should be probably mentioned that uh, a part of the reason why this this view of Christianity has such a strong hold, or at least seems to have such a strong hold, it might not be mainstream, but a lot of people buy into it, is that they believe that God, uh, even an activist God, they believe that God will actually punish people for, or in societies, going back towards the Old Testament, uh, for anybody that strays. So they, you know, they'll come out and like, oh, the reason why you know, we got hit by that hurricane because the gays were able to get married, everybody. Like, <laughs> passed yesterday and the hurricane came through and destroyed all our buildings. So, uh, obviously, that was the case. Um, yeah, I mean, that's so a... That is... It's a funny minority view, but it's it it's definitely not a hallmark of dominionism so much as it is a an amusing subset. Sure. But, I mean, there's... It's out there. Some of these people surround Trump. That's all. That's what I'm really getting at. Like, yeah. that's why I said so seems to. As a general rule, there's kind of an inverse relationship between religious fundamentalism and competence, but that's just a general <laughs> rule. Uh, you do have like a subset, like you just said, of people who actually are extremely competent and religious fundamentalists. It's not a large group, but when you have people that are willing to kind of escalate and not obey any rules, you get these weird minority figures. And again, to kind of reference like bin Laden, people who are just connected enough and just credible enough that if they're willing to kind of obey no rules and do whatever needs to get done, you could actually move the, the ball quite a bit. I mean, and this isn't to specifically compare like Barr is as bad as bin Laden. I'm just saying that you have like these religious cultural forces that feel themselves diminishing in the world. And it's going to prompt figures that want to fight back in whatever yeah. context is a, a proof. I mean, obviously, if Barr starts blowing up buildings, we're going to look at them a lot differently. But at the moment, that's not where the fight is. So you're going to get people who are going to push back and resist in different ways. And, you know, it sounds funny to joke about, but there is a significant subset of the right right now that is very actively talking about ramping up for some kind of, uh, you know, armed conflict. So Boogaloo. the Boogaloo, but, but it's, you know, it, it's been a concept that's been with us for a while, but you can kind of feel some elements of it are feeling more emboldened. And it's it's a mistake to not realize that bar is just one manifestation of a dying culture 
that's going to push back. And that's what's happening is that these people do realize that their grip on power is receding, is on, not just political, but cultural power. And you are going to get people like that that are going to, in whatever way there is culturally and politically possible, they're going to start fighting back. And to bring this back back to Barr, like we were saying, um, with what, what I was saying previously, he is one of those people that believe that Christianity is the ultimate utilitarian view. Uh, and he believes that if one, you have too many uh, excesses in society, you end up getting all these social ills. So he, you know, focusing on the fact that, hey, we're no longer as religious as we once were. Divorce is like as common as marriage is now. And this was in 95, so probably less common than marriage. Uh, you know, you have you have people who have premarital sex, you have rising venereal disease, everything like this. And he very much focuses on stuff like that. So not not utilitarian, consequentialist, but not utilitarian. Well, he uses utilitarian in the essay that I'm referencing. Yeah, he's a fucking idiot. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Nikki, you have a point you want to break in. Yeah, I uh, is the argument is the seed of this argument, whether or not. America was founded as a Christian nation. And if that is the seed of it, is that where that really, where this whole dominionist philosophy really began to take hold in our modern time? I mean, you don't have to look any further than the Treaty of Tripoli to figure out if we were a Christian nation sure. or not, which the answer is clearly no. Correct. But it's like the first line is like, we are not <laughs> a Christian nation. Oh, no, but he was only saying that because he was dealing with Muslims and they wouldn't deal with them if he said yes. Hmm. Yeah, well, thou should not lie, so. <laughs> so. But I mean, honestly, if you look at it from that perspective, if that is their primary argument, if that's what they're fearing the loss of, this belief that we were founded as a Christian nation, and God damn it, all of us better get on board with the idea that we were, even though when you look at the history, we were not founded as a Christian nation. Well, but that, go ahead. Sorry, I was just to say, like, that doesn't really matter to him uh, or to, to dominionists in general because they don't, you know, the history doesn't start with the founding of the country. Uh, to them, you know, it, the Christian history, I mean, and it does, it stretches back be well beyond the start of the, before the United States ever existed. And they trace it back directly, you know, from the United States to, you know, Great Britain through back to uh, Rome and back to Jesus, you know, himself, back yeah. to the band. Uh, so it's, it's not that this is a Christian nation. It's that it is that the universe is a Christian universe. They get their justification from, uh, the book of Genesis. I think there's like a line where, uh, basically like they, they say like you have dominion, dominion over all the fish of the sea, the fowl of the sky, whatever they say. And, uh, so that's where the justification comes. Whether or not we are a Christian nation is probably inconsequential to them because, uh. Whether it is or isn't, it should I'm not be. Sure. That's I'm not they, sure that's the case, though. If you look I'm, back at... I'm just saying they think Christianity should rule over everything. Whether or not we started as a Christian nation, it should still rule over America. That's, I think, what their view yeah. is. If you look back at uh, D. James Kennedy, who was a dominionist, um, he posited that our job, meaning the Christians, is to reclaim America for Christ, whatever the cost. As the vice regents of God, we are to exercise godly dominion and influence over our neighborhoods, our schools, our government, our literature, and our arts, our sports arenas, our entertainment media, our news media, our scientific endeavors, in short, over every aspect and institution of human society. And a woman named Sonia DeWitt 
uh, wrote an article called An American Agenda in 2005, late 2005, in which she said, many Christian leaders and organizations have adopted the position that the concept of church and state was never, separation thereof, was never intended by the founding fathers and is an impediment to the righteous, godly society that they are intending to create in America. I think that's expo facto justification for their... I agree. I agree. James Kennedy sounds like the Malcolm X of Christianity. Right. Oh, wow. Well, by any means necessary. Well, this by is any kind means of what, necessary. But this is what's kind of funny, and it ties back into uh, what we were just talking about a second ago with uh, consequentialism versus utilitarianism. From their perspective, it is utilitarianism in that it is the best result for everybody. But really, it's more of like a group consequentialist, kind of like, this is the best for our group. And we're just going to pretend that that means it's better for everybody. And even if that means we have to enforce our will on the rest of you, we're going to pretend that that's like a utilitarian, but it's really, uh, you know, that's just their perspective. Kind of like uh, you're voting against your own best interests. Well, and, and having somebody else come in and decide what your best interests are for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, utilitarianism, you know, the ethical value lies in the utility itself. That's That's literally the definition of of utility whereas this is yeah like like you said it, it's consequentialism uh conse it's sort of consequentialism because it's like consequentialism pointed toward a deontological goal which is you know mm -hmm. the following of christ um it's right. Right. yeah it's 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 weird it, it's kind of it tries to play both sides of the coin and that's honestly that's how much how most people live right but i think that's why he would use that term in the uh the his earlier discussions in that from his or from the way that they're trying to make their argument is from a utilitarianism kind of a standpoint, even though it really isn't, they're just trying to like, yeah, it's probably, like I said, a bit of that duality. I mean, it's, it's what happens when people don't take basic philosophy courses uh, and <laughs> to yeah. uh, a high, high level uh, academic position like Barr was. Mm -hmm. So let's bring all this back down to Barr. We've talked a, a lot about, we talked a little bit about Iran-Contra and his opinions about the uh, unitary executive. We talked a lot about him and his philosophical uh, leanings with dominionism. What, let's bring this to the here and now. Why do these things matter? What are the political ramifications thereof? Because uh, he's trying to argue that you can't subpoena the president or even a bank that the president used before he was the president for information. He's basically saying um, the executive office is pretty much immune from any type of uh, legal inspection, we'll call it. Um, so is he talking about any president or is he only talking about Trump? He's talking about Trump. I mean, he, he, might, he, might, he might say any president, but, you know, if this again, like his primary goal is is about culture. And if this were if it were a president who uh, he saw as aiding degeneracy. Uh, it, he would not want to grant them that authority, and he would. I, you can guarantee he would find any legal excuse to to uh, support that position. In his heart of hearts, he probably would tell himself that he thinks it applies to every president. But I bet you, if this was President Hillary Clinton, he would have some way to come up with a reason why it's different. These circumstances don't apply somehow. Well, when and this is what I was going to say, when you believe that Democrats are a vehicle for evil, um, yes. you can justify anything to stop them. Back Correct. Down to dominionism. Right. Go back to the evil versus good, and that we are evil and they are good, and never the twain will mm -hmm. meet. Hopefully, probably well, never again in their minds will the twain meet. 
Yeah, it's hard to know, but it'd be nice if we had like a switch where we could just kind of go between like alternate realities and just like like stop in real quick and like the Hillary Clinton universe and see if she was president, what Barr was saying, and then flip back to ours. Yeah, would be. I saw that series already with sliders and they get stuck, so I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so this is why, you know, how most, again, how most people argue, you know, they try to, instead of trying to support their arguments or trying to actually take down arguments, they try to point out how their opponents are hypocrites, right? Uh, and this is why that doesn't work with people like Barr is because hypocrisy is totally justified. You can be as, you know, hip, you, you can be as much of a hypocrite as you want, as long as you're still focused on that ultimate goal uh, of, of, of Christ. And it, so it doesn't like, you can, you can say that you can spew that in the media all you want. It doesn't matter to him. And are they really talking about Christ? I mean, that goes back to the interpretation of Christianity as it is today, because if you look at the actual teachings of Christ in a historical perspective, and you look at the way they conduct themselves now and what they believe that society's mores should be, and it, it there's no real, you know, they don't connect. It's his personal interpretation of the, you know, one trillion interpretations of Christ that are out sure. there and have been out there. Yeah, I mean, it's the modern American interpretation. I mean, maybe not even like the wealth gospel, but like the kind of uh, the arc of history is this thing that like Christendom has brought, you know, the West and now America to kind of lead, you know, the earth into uh, the future. And they see, however you want to define like America and Christianity and this like weird nebulous concept of all that. Yeah, does that have a lot to do with like, you know, what some you know, Carpenter wandering around the Middle East 2,000 years ago I was talking about, not really. I mean, it's not really a thing, but whatever it's evolved into now, it's definitely a thing that a lot of people believe in, and these guys are trying to continue to shepherd it forward. Well, uh, does anybody have any final thoughts they want to share? Uh, we just hit about an hour. Just throw out there, I think it's really interesting that Barr just came out and was like, oh, by the by, we're not going to be looking into Obama or Biden. So... Yes. And Trump was kind of fussy about that. And he goes, well, I don't know why. I mean, they're obviously guilty. And, uh, oh, because um, he has to to protect Trump. <laughs> oh, oh, no, absolutely. And, yeah. and like I was saying earlier about you That's have like the, you know, the usual like inverse relationship between competence and religious fundamentalism. But he's a bit outside that sphere where he's actually marginally competent and he's still trying to move the ball forward. And he knows that like what Trump is talking about is going to completely backfire. So he needs to just quash it and just, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's we get we get a big guy. You don't like Obama? We're not going to investigate him. Like move along. Get it, big it's guy. A, I like that. The best part is Trump's like his own worst enemy oh, yeah. with this. Like, yeah. To call it Obamacare took any focus off of anything that could have been improper with what happened and just put it on to like Trump being an idiot <laughs> again. And he really felt like he was doing like something good. Like he was going to expose something or get it out there. Or at least I guess maybe from a marketing standpoint, which he's good at. Maybe. Maybe it's good for right wingers. I don't know. From a, from a marketing standpoint, saying Obamagate doesn't mean anything, right? It has it has absolutely nothing to do with the cr the alleged crime. And I, I'm only going to slightly disagree with Dylan on this one, uh, simply because the Conwing media has been seeding this for the last three or four years now that the uh, Obama administration was trying to sabotage Trump, and the only reason that they didn't go full force is because they were assured of victory with Hillary Clinton. And uh, this has been a thing that has been building in the town wing media uh, with like J uh, like Solomon and uh, other other people uh, just putting it out there. Sarah, Ca Sarah Carter, I want to say, is one of those people you see. Yeah, 
Sam Bongino is another one. Uh, you, just, you just see them all over people's walls. And I will tell. Uh, um, so, yeah, they, it's all over there. And as soon as he said it, it was like, boom, ignited. It's good marketing, like you guys said. But I think that it's one of those things where what Trump says to kind of get his base riled is great. Like, that's fantastic. And for like the get out the vote, you know, hey, you guys hate Obama. Remember Obama, that guy you hated? Remember him? Yeah, yeah, Obama. He's a bad guy. We don't like him. Obamagate. Like that for that sort of thing, it makes sense. But like like Barr's actually like like a legit guy with like a desk and a phone and like he needs to like do like office things and he can't like fake that. Like that he's not a marketing guy. He's like actually like, you know, kind of in the production and operation side. Barr like has a real legal education. He can't just go around spouting complete bullshit like right. that. So that's all like, you know, and you have like really upset people in the, um, you know, right wing, Conway, whatever media right now, because they're like, well, what's Barr doing? Like who thought he was our guy? And now he's not going to go after Obama. It's ridiculous. But, you know, Barr is actually like a serious person who's like, understands like the strategic goals that they have in place. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I get that you guys want to talk about that, but like, uh, you know, I can't really do anything with this. So like, just keep, keep, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not going to do that. So there's like a serious danger. It's just like with Fauci, you know, if these people feel that the people around Trump are not helping Trump's interests, they will turn on him. And it doesn't matter who you are. These right-wing media people. I mean, it's, it's like a school of piranha. So, you know, that that's going to make him real unpopular for a while. Anybody else? I would like to get a trend going. Um, I would like to trend hashtag basic liberal bitch. I really, that's, you know what, that's really <laughs> no. captured my imagination. <laughs> basic no, that that basic liberal, I like it. I like it. Well, everybody, with that, I am sad to say that we are out of time. We know that you liked what you heard because you stayed with us to the end. So please be sure to like, comment, and subscribe and share us with your friends. And remember that on every first and third Sunday of the month, we are live on Twitch for a, a CSP news roundup. And all our live shows are call-in shows. So join us and get on air. And until next time, keep your head up through the political storm.